open up the Word of God, your Bibles that you have with you. If you do not have a Bible, please just raise your hand and we'll make sure that you get one. If you do not own a Bible, simply keep this as our gift to you this morning so that God can continue to speak to you through the days and the weeks and the months and the years to come. But our text this morning is in Zechariah chapter 3. For those of you that are thinking, Zechariah, where is it? Just go to Matthew, back up two books, you'll be fine. Get into Zechariah, go to chapter 3. And I want to focus on verse 2, but just for this morning, I want to read the first two verses. But verse 2 is going to be the focal point of where our study is this morning. So it begins this, Zechariah chapter 3, verse 1, Then he showed me Joshua the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. Verse 2, And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? The context of what we've been reading is this, that Israel has been in Babylon for the last 70 years. And what has happened is that they had a chastisement given to them by God because of their idolatry because of the lack of keeping the Sabbath, and because of usury, how the, the, the rich would try to abuse and to misuse the poor. And so there wasn't this unity, there wasn't the building up of, of the children, but there was the, the haves and the have-nots, and the sins of idolatry, and of course breaking the Sabbath. And the 70 years are over, and so God has called the children back home. As he's called the children back home, what they began to do was this. After the first two years, they finally laid the foundation of the temple. And once that foundation was laid, there was a, a mixed chorus that had gone on. There was one group who had never seen the old temple, hadn't seen the foundations, and all they did was build the foundation. This is just the bottom outline. And who had never seen it, they began to cheer, they began to celebrate, because here a temple is being built. Now there were others who had actually seen the old temple, and they saw this smaller footprint, and they began to cry. And the voices were mixed. Some were cheering, some were weeping, and so there was this great noise that had gone on, so much that you couldn't tell who was cheering and who was weeping. But uniquely, is after, two, after those two years, then the people around Israel said, hey, we want to help you in the work. He says, no, this is our work. And so they wrote that letter to Babylon. And, of course, they said, you know, you know how rebellious these people are. So what are you going to do? And so they wrote back. He says, you guys got to stop the work. And so they stopped building the temple. Between 14 and 16 years, the temple absolutely stopped. Now, they had built their own houses. They continued to live. They did everything that they were supposed to do. Yet the temple of God stood with only a foundation. And what Haggai, the, 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 the prophet before Zechariah and Zechariah do is they, they get to the people and say, guys, you got to get this temple going. you got to start working on the Lord's house. And so God has calling them to return to the building of his house, the temple. 
Now keep in mind, they still had opposition from the people around them. They still had opposition from Babylon. And, and so they had limited resources. As they were so focused on their own work, God said, I'm going to send a drought, and, and your, your money bags are going to be like you're putting money into bags with holes in them. There was no prosperity. And so they have very limited resources. They're, they're struggling as it is. There's still opposition. And yet God says, build my house. Now what they had to realize is this, and this is where chapter 3 comes in so powerfully, that the biggest opposition to doing the work of God, to building the house, was not the opposition of the people around them. It was not the fact that they didn't have any funds. It was not the fact that they didn't have a whole lot of food and they constantly had to work and work and work and work just to make ends meet. The biggest opposition they faced was Satan himself. And that's what this portrays. So often we look to the world and we try to figure out who are the enemies. If you're looking at the world, if you've been watching the news, you would think, I know, I know an enemy, Russia. Russia's an enemy. Ask Ukraine. China is an enemy. Oh my goodness, ask Taiwan. And, and I'll be honest with you, that we actually, there's a lot of people in America who say, no, 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 politicians are the enemy. We look to who is the enemy today, and the honest answer is, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, saints. Satan is the enemy. He's a murderer. He's a liar. And he's the one that, that, that we used to follow, and he's the one that they now follow. The answer, the power comes in prayer. And how when we walk with the Lord and we move with the Lord. And, and But so often you have to understand that the, the greatest opposition is not the limited resources, not the people around them. The greatest opposition is their sin. Sin has caused them to be taken to Babylon. And they haven't even dealt with that sin yet coming back to Israel. And so we see here that in this passage in chapter 3 that Joshua is the high priest. And as a high priest, keep in mind that Joshua here is a representative of spiritual national Israel. In other words, you have the priesthood. He's the high priest. He's the head honcho with everything. So he is the chief representative of spiritual national Israel. And keep in mind that we see that as, as narrowly it's Joshua, as a bigger sense, it is spiritual national Israel as he's a representative. But also, it can also be carried over to us who are what? Who are the spiritual children. We are the spiritual children of Abraham. And so the question then comes is how do we serve a God when our sin separates us from that intimacy? What do we do? And because so often when we want to serve God, what happens? The enemy says, well, God could use you except for fill in the blank. Now, you can fill in the blank of something that had happened a month ago, a year ago, a week ago, a day ago, hours ago, moments ago, and it makes you feel what? I'm not worthy. And that's what the accuser does. Now, I want you to note that when Joshua is here, it says in verse 1, he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the Lord, that he brings nothing with him. 
He's empty-handed. It's not like, hey, I'm bringing a censer. Look at who I am, Lord. I'm the high priest. not like he brings in this, this great, beautiful garment we're going to see in just a moment where verse 3 says, Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. He's not looking good right now, people. And as we see what's happening, that, that he's now here empty-handed, absolutely filthy before the Lord, and Satan opposes him. Now, the interesting thing is, is that there's a direct article. Now, I read it in my Bible, and maybe you were saying, well, it's not in yours, but it says this in verse 2, the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you. If you have an old King James, you can say, oh, Satan. See, what the new King James doesn't do, it doesn't give a direct article. His name isn't just Satan. It is actually the Satan is the proper term. There's a direct article. And so we see here that it's, it's the Satan. The, the better term would be the accuser. Satan simply means the one who accuses. And I find this intriguing because here, Satan's accusations, although he is a liar and a murderer, his accusations against Joshua are absolutely true. He's standing, he's pointing out like, he doesn't even have to say anything, just look. Look at your own eyes. Look at how filthy this man is before you. And everyone in this scene in heaven knew that Joshua here in verse 3 is standing in filthy garments. That term filthy, refuge. Refuge. It's nasty stuff. He, he's sitting there in, in, in his filth and he's needing to be plucked from the fire. And this is what we see here at the end of verse 2. After he rebukes Satan, he says, is this not a brand plucked from the fire? And I think it's important that Joshua here is filthy. Joshua needed to be plucked from the fire. Now, Joshua was in this fire being consumed. Joshua was in this fire being destroyed. We talked about it a little bit on Wednesday, but I want to bring it here so that you can have a better understanding here this Sunday in case you hadn't tuned in. What a brand is when it says that he is a brand plucked from the fire. Some Bibles would say he is a burning branch plucked from the fire. If you've ever been someone who did campfires, if you've ever been someone who did a wood stove, maybe you've seen or experienced a piece of wood that didn't burn all the way through. And so you have this cold, dry piece of wood. It's very light. There's not a lot of material, but it's all black and, and, and ashy, and it's super light. It's, it's charred, and it's almost what? You can almost break it into ash. And that's what Joshua was at this point. He was almost fully consumed, almost fully destroyed. And God says, while the fire is still consuming you, and just prior to you turning to ash, you're a brand, you're a burning, almost destroyed piece of wood, I pulled you from the fire. This is where Joshua is. It's not like he's been walking and he's doing good and everything. He says, no, you don't realize, Joshua, how your sin was before me. You were almost totally consumed in your sin. This is the direction that you were going. This is your reality. And what I have did is I've 
plucked you from the fire. Joshua needed to be plucked from the fire that was destroying him. He was in the fire being consumed. And what's amazing is this. He was consumed by what? His sin. His sin simply just consumes and destroys. And, 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 and so note this, that Satan's opposition, that he comes, is going to be futile. Understand, the accusations come, and, and it's going to be futile. Because why? God has called Joshua to stand before him. Satan doesn't bring him up. God brings up Joshua. Now, when God brings up Joshua, what Satan's instantly going to do, what? He's going to look for the bad. Remember there when in the book of Job that all the, 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 the angels of God were there before the Lord and Satan was among them also. So the sons of God were there. Satan was there. And then God said what? Hey, Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Oh, I hate that guy. I can't stand that, but, but you know this. See, you have a hedge about him. If you were to take away that hedge, he's going to curse you to your face. Oh, my goodness. Them's feuding words. But you understand how God brings up Job. Satan always goes to the negative. And the, the Lord had said to Peter, what? Listen, Satan has asked for you that he might sift you as wheat. But I prayed for you. So when you have been restored, strengthen your brethren. Satan says, you're going to fail. You're going to fail. You're going to fail. And guess what? He failed. And, and, and Peter failed. Job failed. Joshua fails. But it's interesting that he's not alone. You understand? It's just not, it's just not Joshua and Satan but what? There is the angel of the Lord. That's what it says in verse 1, that Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord is, again, a direct connotation to what? It means that it would be a, either theophany or a Christophany. I would say that it's a pre-incarnate Christ. Jesus Christ is now referred to as the angel of the Lord. So when you see that in Scripture, and it says the angel, not an angel, but the angel of the Lord, and it's capitalized and realized that that is a pre-incarnate Christ. And so here, Jesus Christ, there in heaven, before his incarnation, is there standing with Joshua. So Joshua's not alone. Joshua has an advocate. And this is what's so beautiful. Now, I want you to see here in verse 2. Right after in verse 1, where Satan was opposing him, Satan was accusing him, that God does not refute Satan's accusations. It's not like God, he says, well, look at how filthy he is. God says, no, he's fine. No, 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 he's, he's honest. He realizes the filth, but understand, God does not refute Satan's accusations. But know this nor does he rebuke Joshua. But he does do something amazing. He rebukes not the accused, but he rebukes the accuser. And not only does he rebuke Satan, but note this, he gives Satan a double rebuke. This is crazy. Look at verse 2. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan, number one. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. A double rebuke. That's heavy coming from God. 
You get one, it's huge. You get two, you're really in trouble. And understand that God does not rebuke the accused. God rebukes the accuser. And this is an important thing for you and I to recognize as we begin to look at the sins of others. Now, when we look at the sins of others, remember this. God had taught us, Jesus taught us what it is when we look at the sin. You see the speck in your brother's eye. And you go to try to deal with the speck in your brother's eyes and you forget what? You don't realize you have a plank in your own eye. One is this little tiny microscopic piece of wood. One is a beam. And so you're there with the beams. They, well, look at this speck in your eye. You're smacking them up again. You know, you got a beam. And this is what happens. We accuse, we accuse, we accuse. And the reality is what? Look at me. Look at my own sin, and I think this is so incredible that what God does is he gives to Satan a double rebuke. Now, when he gives Satan a double rebuke, there's this beautiful passage in in Psalm 46, verse 1. I just want to read the first verse to you, but it says this, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in time of trouble, verse 2, therefore we will not fear. You don't have to fear retribution. Why? God, God is a, a strength. God is a help. And, and in every time of trouble, God is that help. There's a passage, jot it down, found in the book of Romans chapter 8. And in Romans 8, I want to read to you from verse 31 down to verse 34. It declares this, What then shall we say to these things? If God is For us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Now, this is a great question. Who's going to say, look at him, bring a charge? So who's going to bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. God says, this is my work. I've made you just, just as if you've never sinned. Verse 34, who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Jesus said, your sin was on me. I paid the price. I went to the grave. I rose again. God says, this sacrifice is acceptable. Why? God says, bring it up. I will take this finished work and I will accept your finished work. And so now he's there sitting at the right hand of the Father and he's making intercession. So when the enemy says, look at his sin, God's going to look and say, it's been paid for. (laughs) But look at what he did. It's been paid for. The crime has been paid for. You can't pay for a crime twice. It's been paid for once perfectly by the blood of Jesus Christ. And it's important to recognize here that that who brings a charge against God's elect? There's a passage. I want to read it to you. You can jot it down. Found in Isaiah chapter 50. I want to read verses 8 and 9. Messiah speaking, but what happens is this, that we can speak just as Christ did. Notice what he says here in Isaiah chapter 50 verse 8. He is near who justifies me. Who will contend with me? 
Let us stand together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near me. Surely the Lord God will help me. Who is he who will condemn me? Indeed, they will all grow old like a garment. The moth will eat them up. There are going to be people who accuse. There are going to be people who point the finger. And all they do is they look for the wrongs and they look for the wrongs and they look for the wrongs. And yet what God says is this, I see who you are. I see the filthy garments and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not ignoring that. But what I'm going to do is this. I realize that through the work of my son, we can take off the filthy garments and we can put on brand new garments upon you. This is the heart of God. And so understand that God has a plan for Joshua. And within this plan, Satan's opposition is not going to interfere with the plan that God has for Joshua. And I want to share with you something so that you can understand this. God has a plan for you and me and this fellowship. And there's no accusations that will come that will stop what God is going to do through this work. And I love the heart of it because you have to realize that there's nothing that Satan can say, nothing that Satan can do that will interfere with God's gift. And this is the gift that he said, I've made you righteous, I can use you now. And so when, when here we see the nation of Israel, can they really come back and build this temple? They've been slacking for 14 to 16 years, and here's Joshua standing in filthy race. Can a sinful nation do a work for God? And God says, absolutely, yes. Why? Because if you stand before me, if you come before me in faith, I will cleanse, and, and I will use you. I love here when what God begins to do. Now, in verse 2, the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. And then he makes this statement. Is this, is this not a brand? Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? I find it interesting that here, Satan is opposing Joshua. Now, God could have simply ignored Joshua. He's holy. He's righteous. He could have turned his face. He could have, he could have just blotted him out. He could, have, he could have simply said, this wretch I do not want to see. And yet he comes before God in the filthy clothes. He comes before God exactly as he was spiritually. And God could have shut up his heart. He could have said, I don't want nothing to do with this. But instead, what happens is this, that God identifies Joshua before Satan. And he says this, when Satan is there, he says, oh, you are rebuked, you are rebuked, a double rebuke to Satan. And then he says, is this, is this. I do not believe that he said, is this in disdain, is this this? No, 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 no. I think he said, is this love and adoration and compassion, sincerity? He points out Joshua before Satan. He goes, is this, is this? 
And so he, he's calling Joshua his own while Joshua stands before the Lord filthy. And this is so beautiful to me because what happens? God says in, in what Hebrews 13 verse 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. This is the heart. And, and I love how God, when he chooses you know, Israel there in Deuteronomy 7, beginning in verse 7, in the first part of verse 8, he says, listen, I didn't choose you because you were great and awesome and wonderful. I chose you because I'm love. <laughs> That's it. I know who you are. I know what you are. And I'm still choosing you. And I will never leave you nor forsake you. And what does the enemy constantly do? You do one thing. God is forsaking you. Well, wait, wait a second. Remember now, all the sin was paid for 2,000 years ago on the cross. Jesus said it was finished. Now I've done my part, you do yours. And this is that beautiful thing that God begins to do. First and foremost, he identifies the one he loves is this. He goes to Satan who says, this, this, this guy, this guy, this guy. He, and God says, I'm going to tell you about this guy. Remember when we were reading last week in, in, in Luke chapter 7? We were talking about the woman who came to that Pharisee Simon's house. And, and Simon didn't anoint the Lord. He didn't wash his feet. He didn't give him the greeting. And this woman who was a sinner just kept, kept weeping and crying and washing his feet with her tears and drying the, the tears with her hair and anointing his feet with that fragrant oil. And there was a worship going on. But yet Simon said, well, oh, if he had known what kind of woman this is. And, and Jesus said, do you see this woman? Do you see this woman? He goes, you don't know what kind of woman she is. Oh, yeah, she is a broken woman who understands her filth, but understands my love. And has come by faith. And, and her faith is going to help her be forgiven of her sins. And this is the work that's done. It's amazing how there's some people that will look in disdain and God looks in love. Know this. I don't care how people see you today, how, how, how you've been seen when you were a kid or growing up, or how people see you, neighbors see you, coworkers see you. I will tell you how God sees you. God sees you and loves you. And so it's so beautiful here that he says, I, I want you to see is this. And then he says this, is this not a brand? He's very open. He's very honest. It's a charred piece of wood just short of being consumed into ash. And he says this piece of wood is almost completely destroyed in the fire. It's almost completely you know, consumed. It is of absolutely no worth. And, and, and here God has this true evaluation of Joshua. He's a brand in the fire. But I've pulled him out prior to him being consumed. And, and I love the heart of it because God doesn't sugarcoat it. He says, listen, Joshua in his sin, left alone, is, is there. He wasn't of use to anyone. He was there in the fire about to be consumed. And, and this is what? This is the best that Israel had to offer. And this is Joshua at his best. Isn't that amazing how sometimes we think, oh, look at what I have to offer God? Realize that you and I, the best we have is this. All of our righteousnesses are filthy rags. There's none good, no, not one. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. As we look to this, he goes, I want you to understand, he's a brand. He's a charred 
almost completely consumed piece of wood that is hollow and, and understand that you may think this piece of wood is, is of no worth to anyone except, except in the hand of his creator, except in the restorer of his soul. The one who restores the Lord. And I love how in Psalm 23, verse 3, he restores my soul. He's the one who makes me new. He's the one who does this. And, and understand that to God, this burned, charred piece of wood that was about to be destroyed and consumed was priceless. Priceless. God is very honest, very open. He says, is this not a brand plucked from the fire? But God says, I've taken him from the fire. I've removed him from being totally consumed. Before he was completely destroyed, I saved him. This is God. And it's so amazing how before he was totally consumed, God says, I'm going to do a work in you. I'm going to do a work through my son, so that when you stand before him, as if Paul would to write there in the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. And, and I love the heart of it because what we see here within this passage that this is what God is saying, that this is a brand, he says, plucked from the fire snatched from the fires, almost being completely there in the pit of hell. Joshua snatched from those fires. God pulled Joshua out while he was being consumed, being destroyed. And the beautiful thing is that God's desire was to preserve Joshua. All of us are in this state. Some of us realize I came to God because I was broken. I came to God because things in my life were broken. And there's others who say, well, I'm coming to God, nothing's broken, but I'm just that kind of guy. I'm just so good. I'm just coming to God. We don't realize how broken we are until we open up the scriptures. Joshua here was the best Israel had to offer. And, and the best he had to offer, the best Israel had to offer was a brand, a charred piece of wood that was almost completely turned to ash. And God reached in the fire and says, I'm going to save it. And I'm going to make something beautiful of it. I'm going to take off the filthy garments. I'm going to put on pure and righteous garments. And so this is what God does. He saves Joshua from destruction before he is absolutely consumed. There's a passage I want to share with you from Romans chapter 3. A couple of verses, jot it down, verses 21 through 26. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. Not what he does. Because in his keeping the law, he's simply filthy. He's failed and failed and failed. So the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. So the same law, the same prophets that show us our filthiness, that we are simply brands in the fire, about to be consumed because of our sin, is the same one that, that declares what? But God has sent the Savior. 
And we come to him not through works. We come to him simply by faith. And this is the beauty of what this passage begins to say. So in Romans 3, verse 21, now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ and to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace. So although we've all sinned, we've all fallen short, we're all filthy there before the Lord, we've all been justified freely by grace. And it's the gift. It's his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God set forth as a propitiation, that which puts us in a favorable position by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Do you understand? He's not giving us right. You're not. We're just filthy before God. But it demonstrates his righteousness because God doesn't simply wink at sin. God realizes the destructiveness of sin and he realizes that I have to judge sin. So what does God do? God comes to earth as a man. And then he takes our sin upon himself and he pays that for that sin there upon the cross. He sheds his blood. He gives his life. And then there on the cross, he receives the wrath of God for that sin upon himself. And he pays for it in full. This is what God sees as sin. He realizes that sin is death. And Jesus paid that price. He experienced that death, that separation from God. And so we then... Through Christ, God says, I've justified. I haven't winked at sin. I haven't pretended that it did exist. I know it existed, and I know the cost of it. But I think that you are so precious to me that I will pay the price of the most precious thing. I will give my son's life. He will give his life so that you can have a relationship with me. Now, that's a price. And this is what our sin cost. But we see here this beautiful passage in Romans chapter 3, verse 25, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance, God has passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness and that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. It's absolutely amazing how this is what God does. God realizes that we have nothing to offer. But at the same time, he realizes what? You have nothing, but I see you as beauty. You don't realize what I can do from ashes. And so what God does is this, is he's the one who says, Satan, I'm not even going to accuse whom you're accusing. Why? Because I've chosen him and he's mine. And yeah, this may be his reality now, but just watch what I do when I take off the filthy garments. Watch what I do when I put on my spirit. Watch what I do when he walks in my word. This is the power of what God does. He takes us who are unworthy and he makes us worthy by his work and his work alone. And so when you're thinking, can I do a work from God? Can I do a work for God? Understand, the enemy is going to say, you can't, you're not worthy. God says, I've taken away this. I understand who you are. I understand that you in your sin, it was about to consume you, but I pulled you out. I brought you to me and watch what I do in you. 
There's this beautiful passage in Romans chapter 12 or Revelation chapter 12 dealing with the enemy and how he is an accuser. It begins this in Romans chapter 12, verse 10. I want to read verses 10 and, or Revelation 12, verse 10 and 11. But it says this, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ has come. He's saying, here he is. This is the one who is there, the angel Lord standing with Joshua. So this, this voice is saying, Salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God has come, and the power of his Christ has come. For the accuser of our brethren, Satan, the accuser, has been cast down. He who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. Do you realize what was happening? He came to accuse, and God gave him a rebuke. My thought is he gave him a double rebuke again. Who are you? Who are you to bring an accusation against God's children? God does not rebuke the accused. He rebukes the accuser. And I love the heart of it because as he has been cast down, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the power of the testimony. See, the victory that we have isn't in our works. It wasn't in Joshua. He had nothing in his hands. Nothing did he bring. But it was all in the work of Christ. It was all in what God said, I've done this work. I'm the one who's made you. And this is the beauty. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. That they didn't love their lives to the death. My life is yours, Lord. It isn't about me. And I think it's so important to realize what God wants to do and desires to do because he's plucked you from the fire. I want to kind of close with this because there's a warning. There's a warning found in Amos chapter 4, verse 11. Same kind of a situation where there's a brand plucked from the fire. But in Amos chapter 4, verse 11, God says this. I overthrew some of you. I overthrew some of you. As God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and you were like a firebrand plucked from the burning, yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. Do you realize this? I pulled you from the fire before you were consumed, and you're like, I'm good. I'm going to go do my thing. Do you realize sin consumes you? God pulled you out of that place, gave you his spirit, gave you his word, gave you life, and then you simply walk away. It's amazing to see how often when God says, you've done that, what are you doing? I've brought you out and I, I've, I've taken you before you were consumed. And, and he says this, you've not returned to me. Isn't that incredible? I've done this and you have not returned to me. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17 there's a beautiful portion of scripture beginning there in verse 11. And I want to read it to you, Luke 17, beginning in verse 11. I want to read down through verse um, 18. But it says this, Luke 17, verse 11, and it all comes to returning to me. I've cleansed you. You were a brand plucked from the fire, but you haven't come back. It says this in Luke 17, 11. Now it happened as he, Jesus, went to Jerusalem that he passed by through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. 
And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said to Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go show yourself to the priest. And it was as they went that they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned. And with a loud voice, he glorified God. And he fell down on his face and his feet, at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? Isn't it interesting how Jesus heals ten? Ten lepers who were unclean. Ten lepers who you could say were what? Filthy garments. Ten were cleansed. Ten walked away, realized they're cleansed. One returned to him. And it's amazing that Jesus here actually points out where are the nine? Do you realize it's almost he's thinking, I, I healed ten. Why aren't ten here before me? One returns. It says in verse 18, were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? One who wasn't of the nation of Israel comes and realizes the word, comes and gives glory to God. Nine others walk away. All have received a cleansing. All have received this understanding that I'm a brand plucked from the fire. I'm about to be consumed. I'm being destroyed by the leprosy, which is a type of sin. God heals them. One comes back. And I think it's so important that God, you know, in that text, he says, listen, I overthrew some of you because what? I plucked you from the fire, but you didn't return. I think it's so important for us as Christians that when you're realizing you know, one, Satan says, listen, you can't do anything for the Lord. That's one. He stands and accuses us. And the other is this. There's some Christians that don't want to do anything for the Lord. I've received this cleansing. I'm good. I'm going to go to heaven. And, and I'm not really looking to you to see, do you want anything? I'm not going to come back in, in an awe and admiration and worship you. I'm not going to come and fall down at your feet giving you thanks. And I'll tell you that there should be this huge point of adoration to all of us because we were all there dangling over the fires of hell in our sin, about to be consumed. The fires consuming us and burning us and destroying us. Our sin was destroying us. My sin was destroying me, and God pulled me out of my sin. He reached into the uttermost, grabbed me, pulled me out, and, and he saw me in my filth. He saw me in my wretchedness. And he says, this, this, not in disdain, in love, this, this is a brand plucked from the fire. Before it was destroyed, I know it's hollow, it's empty, it's wretched, it's burned, it's almost destroyed, but I'm going to breathe life into it. I'm going to give it a new heart. And this is what he did with me, and this is what he wants to do with you. And so the response is what? The response is, the enemy says, you can't serve him because look at how wretched you are. You are, God should oppose you, but he doesn't oppose us. He rebukes Satan. Who are you to say anything against the ones that I've chosen, my elect, my anointed? I've pulled them out. And if God is for us, who can be against us? There are no what, no condemnations against those who are in Christ Jesus. He's done the work. And so I can come boldly before him, worshiping him. 
But the enemy says, you're not worthy. My own heart says what? He's not worthy. Isn't that amazing? How the enemy says, it's me that's not. My own flesh says, it's him that's not. Why? Because I foolishly think there's worth in me. I forget the fact that I am filthy. In my own righteousness, I'm filthy before God. In my own greatness of the maximum of my superiority in the spiritual realm, I am a charred, useless log that is about to be destroyed. And God plucks me. Do you understand? That's who we were. And God plucks us. He says, this, this, this is a brand plucked from the fire. I'm honest with you. I'm telling you who you were. I'm telling you how wretched with you. But I'm going to tell you this. I plucked you from the fire. I've taken you from that place, and I brought you to me, and I'm going to heal. This is what God does. And so realize two voices never, never to listen to. One, the voice of Satan saying, you're not worthy. You can't serve God. And the other is this. You know what? You're fine just the way you are. You don't need to serve God. God isn't worthy of being served. What did he really do anyways? He saved me from destruction. He poured out his grace and he saved me. And I think this is what's so important about seeing here Joshua. Joshua, in a narrow sense, is simply the high priest. He's there before God. Everything that you see here is a scene that, that, that here, you know, Zechariah sees in this vision. It's incredible to see. But, but not only is it one man standing before the Lord, the high priest, but he is, in fact, what the representative of the nation Israel. Israel can build this temple. There are no oppositions because if God is for you, who can be against you? And so there's nothing stopping you from doing amazing things with God and for God. But the other thing is this. Realize that you are a brand that has been plucked from the fire. Like verse 3, Joshua was clothed in filthy garments and was standing before the Lord. And he answered and he spoke. He says, take away the filthy garments. I've removed your iniquity and I have clothed you with rich robes. I'm going to do a work. This is my work, and I've cleansed you, and I've washed you. And, and so what do we do? We come back in, in gratitude. We serve the Lord. He is worthy to come back and praise him, to fall down before his feet and to worship him. This is who he is. Don't listen to the voice of Satan to say you're not worthy, but don't listen to the voice of your own flesh when, when we say, God, you're not worthy. If he calls us to serve him, worship him whatever way you can. And, and I love the fact that he says what? I've healed you all. And, and God, I think he does count the ones who say, listen, I, I, I healed you. I've taken away your iniquity. Why aren't you coming back in gratitude? Why aren't you coming back and giving me thanks? Why aren't you coming back and worshiping me to what? To the degree that I deserve. I've redeemed your life. From the pit. I deserve everything. And that's why God says what? Well, he said to Amos, he says, I've overthrown some of you. I overthrow some of you because the same way I overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. Why? Because like a firebrand, I pulled you and you didn't return to me. You didn't come back to me. May we be those people who, when God says, listen, go your way, go your way, go your way, that our way is what? We go right back to Jesus. You are my way. 
And I'm going to go no further than holding your hand. And where you go, I'll go. Where you lead, I'll lead. What you do, I'll do. But if you're not going to be there, if you're not going before us, I don't want to go anywhere. But where you go, oh, I want to go. And I want to experience your power and your glory and your might. That, that Let this service that I do, not of I owe you, but I'm just grateful I'm just grateful, Lord, for your grace and your love that I did nothing to deserve it, and yet you poured your love upon me. He said, this is a brand plucked from the fire. I love this brand. Watch what I do with this brand. And he makes Joshua into something beautiful. He makes Israel into something beautiful. He makes you and me into something beautiful. Come back and worship him. Amen? Amen. Father, we are so grateful for this word, so grateful for who you are and how you work. Lord, you are faithful. We have all been like Joshua, consumed by our sin, being destroyed by our sin, dangling over the fires of hell, walking towards the fire. And yet, while we were yet sinners, while we were walking in destruction and ignorance, you died for us. You plucked us from this fire and you brought us to you. And you tore off the dirty, wretched garments, that which showed that we had no worth. And you placed upon us these robes of righteousness, robes of perfection, something that we could never earn, never do ourselves, and yet it's you. And so we come in gratitude, worshiping you, honoring you, loving you. So do the work in us, Lord. Thank you for this passage. Thank you for this reminder that we want to be those who truly, Lord, don't think more highly of ourselves than we ought. That we don't come and think that we weren't broken. That our lives weren't about to be destroyed. That we look to not the things around us, but the things that are in us. Our sin and its nature and how wretched we were before you came to us and pulled us out of the pit. And so we give you the honor, the glory, the praise. We worship you and you alone. And let our lives be that, as we are filled with your spirit, let our lives be that which is continually expressing gratitude, love and gratitude, thanking you for what you've done. Do the work in and through us, we ask in Jesus' name. And all the saints of God said, amen. amen.